This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal Street Grips. For comfort, durability, and grip diameter options, Renthal Street has a grip for everyone. Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast brought to you by Renthal Street. Check out renthal.com for chains, sprockets and pretty much all the goodness you can put onto your motorcycle. On today's podcast, myself, Steve English and Gordon Rich are going to be looking back to the Dutch round of World SBK. And now that uh, David Emmett's no longer on site in Aston, we can say Holland, 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 even though we all know it, Gordo. We were in the Kingdom of the Netherlands last weekend and as usual... Assen gave us a lot of interesting storylines, even if the headline act was still, once again, another hat-trick by Alvaro Bautista. Yeah, Assen's great because it's great. Um, it's one of those truly, truly uh, steeped in racing things. They would watch scooters go around a car park in Holland. They love bike racing. They love it with a passion. MotoGP, Superbike, anything. And they love coming up for Superbike. They get all the access to the paddock. It's always a great round. And even the weather was good most of the time, which is a really big bonus in April in the Netherlands. Um uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great race, and it's the first European one, so it was super busy, people hosting wee events, and um, because it's the first chance I've got all the media in one place, a lot of the media can't go to the, the first two flyaway rounds. Um, so yeah, no, Assen, Assen is uh, one of the classic races on the calendar, you can't argue with it. I always love that first European round back. You see the people that haven't been able to get to the flyaways. You were obviously staying as usual with Chippy Wood and uh, good to have Chippy back in the paddock as well. And uh, it's always a case of when you get to that first European round, there's people to catch up with and you're flat out on Thursday, whether it's with the 300s back, the uh, Supersport Challenge teams back, a couple of wildcard teams in the Superbike class and then everyone in the media centre. It's just always a fun round to, yeah, to get and, to. Ah, yeah, I had to get special dispensation this round because of all those extra things, the 300s and so on, um, to not be kicked out of the media centre at 11 o'clock, um, which apparently is a new routine. Um, so I was there with and literally had to phone the security guards to come and shut the door behind me, which was is always an ex- a, a weird experience. I've left racetracks very, very late at night and in the early morning by some unconventional methods, but this time it's all gone modern. I just need to phone them and somebody comes and closes the door. Um, so yes, it, it's great. It's a brilliant buzz. Um, I mean, okay, Alvaro disappeared in three races. He always had it under control. That's the way it is now. The wee man's riding the bike as well as it can be ridden. Um, and no one else is, not very noticeably. No one else can do what he does in that bike. So, yes, do we need a real change for the Ducati? Yeah, we could have that discussion again for days. But ultimately, there is only one person. Like when Johnny was on the Kawasaki and winning out the park, lots of other people said, oh, the Kawasaki's too fast, is it? Well, he was the only guy that was really doing it for most of those years, for virtually all of those years that he was winning the championship. So is it the man, is it the machine? It's a bit of both. And right now, Alvaro is the only one that's making that Ducati sing. And very interestingly, he said, you have to ride it a particular way to get that level of performance out of it. And Bassani said, well, I can't ride it like that. We can't, I can't change my style to ride it the way he does. And he's got 20 kilos less, so maybe he can ride it that way and I can't, just because the bike won't do something because of the extra kilos on the top of it. So there's a lot of interesting dynamics inside that whole Ducati thing. 
I thought one of the most interesting things for me was over the weekend we were staying in the same hotel as Ducati and oh, yeah. you'd see Charles oh, Davis down for breakfast oh, each posh, morning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The nice, uh, uh, the nice hotel Assen Vanderval okay. shirt was just great. It was just great. Carry on. There was a good brekkie there, so I was more than happy to be down nice and early for it. And uh, you'd bump into Chaz, and uh, he was chatting about the world endurance yeah. back Ducati, and I was asking him, you know, how are you setting that bike up and getting used to basically a bike that can't be perfect for you because you have to adapt to your teammates and make sure everything's working. And he said that what he has been doing with the team is they basically took the numbers for Rinaldi settings, the numbers for Bautista settings, put the bike in the middle of those two and the bike worked very well in endurance spec because they know by and large those two riders can get pretty good performances even though there's a there's a disparity in their style, their size and a few other things. But it was interesting that Ducati's now figured out some way to make it work. Obviously enough, I say this on the weekend of the most disastrous round Rinaldi's ever had. I think even when you go back to his days on the Barney Ducati, that was a very tough season. It was nothing like this weekend. This was horrendous from Rinaldi. And it was one of those weekends, Gordo, where he had technical issues on Friday and he never really caught up from it. He just seemed on the back foot all the way through that's not the Rinaldi we've seen all the way through the winter and the opening three rounds of the year. But it is one of those situations where in Australia, the wet race, he only scored two points in that race. We had the crash in race one in Indonesia, and then you have the disaster at Assen. So it looks like he's made a step back, whereas throughout the whole course of the winter, he looked like he'd made a lot of progress. So I think Mizano's obviously going to be his chance to, to show that progress. Sorry, Catalonia and Mizano, the next two rounds his chance to show that progress, but he's under pressure now. Yeah, I think so. Um, a very unfortunate uh, technical problem, um, and that's that would definitely hurt everybody. We don't have as much practice as we used to do in Superbike. We used to have four sessions and a free practice, and you know we don't have it anymore. So you, if you have a problem at the beginning, it's very difficult to catch up. That said, it's factory Ducati. So in terms of the team, in terms of the rider and everything else, you would expect them to catch up far greater than the final results were. Michael was definitely out of sorts at the weekend. I think there's, there was an issue in every layer of, of that side of the garage's performance. Um, and he certainly wasn't a happy man. He was perfectly nice to us. He was very uh, chirpy in the press conference, relatively speaking, considering how badly things had gone for him. Um, and he's a nice little fella, you know. But, yeah, that was a bad weekend all round. And, and, Exactly what was wrong. I think there was more than one thing wrong all the way through. Um, but yeah, his his first thing was look, we started badly on, on Friday. Um, yeah, that you should be doing better in a factory team than they did at Assen. And and there's, it's not to say there's no excuse for it, but that that is just a big question mark. Of It shouldn't be like that. He's been in the team for a while. Yeah, I think it's one of those situations where there's reasons rather than excuses, but your scorecard is your scorecard. And Rinaldi's got, you know, nothing from the Dutch round. And that's going to be something that he needs to make his progress with. But, but as it stands, he's still top six in the championship. Bissani's obviously his target right now in the standings. And the next two rounds, he needs to make that big step forward. Overall, though, good weekend for Ducati. They claim their 400th win in the Superbike class, Gordo, and uh, you've been there for at least two or three hundred of those. Yeah, <laughs> but, maybe. But uh, it was 
it was pretty pretty special to see that on, on race two in in, in Aston. Yeah, um, I mean Ducati are still number one in virtually every uh, statistic you can see because of the first twenty years of the championship. Kawasaki have done an awful lot of catching up. Honda have had a lot of wins. Other people have been there and in and out and in and out. You know, but Ducati own World Superbike, have done for a long time. They haven't been champions for a very long time until last year. So it's changed days. But 400 wins, they are the World Superbike dominators. And they've got a lot of things to thank for that. But ultimately, they still take Superbike seriously. They take Superbike seriously, not to probably a tenth of the, the way that they do in MotoGP, because that's what's required in MotoGP. But they've made the bike to be fast from the, the get-go, and they've had their moments. Imagine what it was like in 19 for Ducati, when you were winning out the park and then you can't win again after years of not winning a championship. It, that must have been soul-destroying. But it was, you know, they built back, and as soon as they got a rider who could maximise the bike in all instances, from his size to his experience to his cool-headedness 99% of the time, they won the championship again as soon as that guy went back again. So Ducati is a force of nature in, in World Superbike, and it's partly because they build special road bikes that other people do and don't do. But nothing's quite as extreme in that as a road bike in the paddock anymore as that Ducati. Can Ducati afford to lose Bautista? Because obviously his contract's up at the end of the year. Big discussion point around the paddock as to what's going to Entirely happen Entirely depends who they put back on the bike again. We know there are three truly, truly world-class riders in that paddock right now, as it stands. Whatever happens to the top rack, Jonathan's there, not as young as he used to be, still riding at the height of his powers, as far as I can see. The problem there is the bike and the setup and everything else isn't quite what it was, and one of his rivals has got an even better bike. But there's two options straight there. If they're available, that's where you would replace. They've also got an ocean of MotoGP guys who may or may not be able to do what Batista's done. So I think in terms of replacing them, as long as they've got they've got targets they could pick, whether those people from MotoGP might want to go to Superbike or not is another matter. Um, but do they want to lose them? No, I think they would like them to continue, and they think he might well do. But if you if you were going to win if you win the championship this year, that's you won two world championships at the end of your career. You've won in the MotoGP bad and the one two fives. You've had an amazing career. He talked about his kids and all that stuff at the weekend. Yeah, I mean, you know, but he probably doesn't want to spend so much time away from home when his kids are young and getting but getting more aware of the world. He's a human being and he's at the end of he's either the end of his career or the beginning, however many years he carries on for. So I think anything could talk with Batista. But maybe he also just wants to up his um, negotiating standard, you know. I found one of the most interesting things at the weekend was talking to teams and manufacturers about what talent is available in MotoGP. And obviously, Franco Morbidelli is one of the names being linked with a possible switch to superbikes. And whenever I talked off the record to a few team managers about him, it didn't seem that they were too enamoured with Frankie. The It seems that, that the hunger isn't there to come to superbikes. And you need that. We've seen a time and again where riders have come and they've been a little bit reticent to come to the production class and then it never really works out for them. Whereas Bautista sort of came in and embraced the change. Obviously, it helped the brand new bike with Ducati. There was a lot to work on and a good base. 
But you really do need to embrace that change. And if you're going to make it a success, it's up to you to make it a success. And Alvaro's done that. Fair play to him. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Like you mentioned there, Gordo, about the weekend. He was talking about his family. He was talking about potentially walking away. Everything I've heard is a one-year contract and then he retires at the end of next year. You wouldn't be too surprised if in Catalonia we have an announcement made that Alvaro Bautista is going to stay at Ducati and this will be his last season in World Superbikes. And that's it. And he's done and dusted. He can walk off into the sunset, potentially winning three championships in a row. Triple world champion. There was, there's a lot to be said for that for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you never know what anybody else might bring uh, in the next year or two. But what riders want to win, leave while winning is a very important thing. Some riders are just such a part of their life they don't want to go at all and they regret it as soon as they retire. I wouldn't surprise me the scenario you depicted there at all. It would be a sensible thing to do. Um, and it means that they're probably going to win the championship this year. Nothing is set in stone. We are three rounds out of 12 in. We're miles off yet. We've been here before in 19. So, yeah, bringing someone over from MotoGP, the only people that succeed in Superbike World Championship that come from MotoGP, and there have been a fair few over the years, either champions or nearly, but all of those ended up understanding whether it took them half a season, whether they they understood before they came, or whether it took a hard year of reflection on themselves to say, no, no, I have to give to this. They have to give their full MotoGP self to even think about winning the Superbike World Championship. It's as simple as that. You have to be a Biagi or a Cheka or an Alvaro who've got proven victory records and so on and have still got the hunger. You know, it's a second career for the guy who thinks he's a bit older from MotoGP and had a lot of chances and never quite won. And there's, there's been a few of them over the years. But you have to be committed. It's World Championship motorcycle racing. You know, and MotoGP is the big thing. It's made itself the big thing. The owners of both championships are the same and they want to put clear blue water between each other. That's fine, I understand it totally. MotoGP is a big thing. Superbike is one down. Those guys want to stay there and win and be world champion. To me, if you're a rider there and you understand, very difficult to do, but understand that I'm not going to be the MotoGP world champion, why not go to World Superbike? Because no one's going to remember you if you don't win this, the MotoGP World Championship, but everybody's going to remember you as a Superbike World Champion. Well, let's uh, look at one of those World Champions that we have at the minute, we, because at the weekend, I think it's fair to say Jonathan Ray is now effectively out of Championship contention, over 100 points behind Bautista, crashes out of race two. We could see once again just how much he was having to put on the line. I thought the Super Pole race was very reflective of where Kawasaki is right now. When they had grip, Ray was right there. Alex Lowe's was there with them as well, making it a front group of four. And I think on raw pace, what we've seen all the way through this season in the races has been those four riders probably being a, li- a little bit of an edge over the next group. Obviously, Rinaldi's been up there as well at different times. Locatelli has been competitive. But I think that the Super Pole race showed the Kawasaki's a good bike but only in a small window whenever it's got the grip. We saw it all the way through the weekend when they started to suffer with tyre life. The pace just went away and we saw in race two, Ray having the crash. Yeah, that's been the story of Jonathan's year this year is that when he, he he's in there fighting for the win and then, you know, when they lose the grip, front grip usually, um, they can't do it. They, they even changed his balance again. 
Uh, they brought a relative, you know, certain aspects of a new homologation. There is a new homologation for the Kawasaki this year, but it's only details on an existing machine. Um, and Johnny said quite forcefully at like the weekend that we need a, a, a new bike to, to be competitive, truly competitive with uh, Batista. They need a new bike. Um, so we all know where they are. Um, Alex, yeah, Alex is uh, he's a very professional and fast rider, Alex. He's learned a lot since he came to Superbike, and he does seem to be getting a little better every year. Um, but the challenge is, as you say, if he can't keep the grip, he can't keep with the same three guys. You know, he says there's four, and then you'll see Alex dropping off the tail of that. Because to me, the other three riders are just a wee cut above, like they're a cut above everybody. But Alex is, when he's got the grip, he's showing in sheer pace. He's got no one else to be scared of at all. You know, if, if his bike was working it the way it could do, Alex might be a clear fourth in his championship. But uh, when you look at the man that's in third right now, Andrea Locatelli, you have to say how impressive a job he's doing just for that sheer consistency. Top five in every race so far no, this no, season. He's, uh, you know, Locke is a great rider. Look at what he did in Supersport. He just mashed the field in Supersport. Um, that's, uh, that's difficult to do when you just come in from somewhere else. But he was obviously a very talented rider from the beginning. And the paddock went straight to Superbike and, and showed how fast he could be there. The problem is the big three. He's like Neil McKenzie in the days of, uh, you know, Wayne Gardner, Wayne Rainey, Kevin Schwantz, Eddie Lawson, etc. Mick Doohan, you know. He was fighting those guys every weekend. So was Dera Diggis and Christian Saron and so on. I think that's the situation that Locatelli finds himself in. Making a jump in yourself, he's obviously done that. And along with Andrew Pitt, he and the team of of pushed Locker on. He had a fantastic Assen. He likes Assen. He's done well there. So we can't factor that in as well, right? It's one of his better tracks. But the guy's very impressive. As I say, the problem is that they just have three even greater talents with even greater consistent. Usually, even greater consistency. Um, who can beat him most weekends? But they're beating everybody else. So yeah, look. I think Locker tell he's very quietly impressive, and he's certainly very quiet. He doesn't like. Uh, showing off is his nature. We don't hear more about Locker because he's quite happy not hearing more about Locker. You know, he's very polite in the media things, but he obviously is not that keen on it. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting. You mentioned there he's not much of a show-off, doesn't want the attention. Top Rack is a show-off and Top Rack wants the attention, even if it's in a very understated way with Top Rack. Let's talk about his performance in Aston as well. Another round where he picks up three podiums. It seemed like it was a tough one for him. Saturday, the Super Bowl race, and then suddenly on Sunday in race two, makes a good step forward and looked more competitive. But it just always seemed like they were just chasing it this weekend. Obviously, he talked a little bit this week about the impact of the MotoGP test readapting to getting back onto a superbike and as much as anything for Top Rack you'd have to say as well just being back in his own environment because I think for me that was one of the big things from the MotoGP test he didn't have that environment now he was back where he wants to be and he got more and more comfortable as the weekend went on uh, doing that switch over with the world watching him sort of slightly unsettled him a bit is he a show off yeah he's a show off on the bike but he's also a very humble kind of quiet guy. I mean, all Top Rack wants to do is come to races, win, and go back to Turkey and have his little life away from everybody else, see his mum and his brother and everybody else. That's what he wants to do, man. He's told me many and often that's what he likes to do. He's not here to be Hollywood. He's not here to be this. When he's here, 
he does all his stunts and all because that's the background he comes from, and his team are clever enough to to you know help maximise the exposure of that. Is I don't think Top Rack's a show off. I mean, he wears some bizarre trainers, which you sometimes look at and think, what? But that's about it. That's the extent of his kind of uh, ego, if you like. The showmanship is just what he's used to. It's what he is. And he knows it makes people happy. He makes people smile by doing all these daft things. He's a big, kind, nice guy who, obviously, like every other motorbike racer, has got uh, cojones of steel and a, and a stainless steel backbone when it comes to fighting on track. You wouldn't want to be sharing track time with a checker flag in front of you with top rack. But that's what you need to be to be a top racer. But he's a, he's a strange mix because he comes from a totally different world, culture, you name it, from your regular uh, Western European motorbike racer or North American motorbike racer. And that's why people like him, because he's different. He's a big, kind guy from a different, strange culture. Anyway, enough about Gordon Ritchie. We're going to take a quick break in the Paddock Pass podcast. And when we come back, we'll talk about BMW and Honda. Renthal Street, Chain and Sprockets are perfectly matched for maximum power transfer and efficiency. From racetrack to daily rider, with over 800 fitments, Renthal Street has a final drive solution for almost any bike. Use Renthal.com to find the correct fitment. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast brought to you by Renthal Street. We've looked at the the top riders from the Dutch round of the World SBK round, but uh, we're going to look a little bit further down the field now to BMW and Honda to finish up a wrap-up from Assen. And unfortunately, Gordo, the big news for the Dutch crowd was another broken leg for Michael van der Mark, a femur this time. Third time he's broken it in pretty much the last year. And the biggest shame, I think it has to be said, is that in Australia and Indonesia we saw Vandermark as the top BMW rider but we've also seen it where in Australia he had a big high side in the wet Indonesia big high side on Sunday and now another massive crash in Aston as yeah, well yeah that was one of the biggest high sides you'll see people always exaggerate about how high and how far people go in high sides but Michael's was that was stratospheric um, and it, 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 you've got to feel for the guy he's so unlucky um, but yeah there's a, there is a theme developing um, and the nature of those crashes um, and that if I was you know that to me bears a bit more examination of what's happening um, conclusions I haven't got any conclusions for you now but as you've described there this is not the first time um, Michael was so unlucky the way he landed and it was quite obvious even before he, he, he'd finished the crash that what had happened um, yeah I feel for the big guy because that is a genuine talent that's a homegrown talent that's a guy that's proved to be world champion in the way through the classes um, he's won races he's easily the best Dutch superbike rider there's so many positives uh, look at the Suzuki 8 results that Michael's had he's a versatile fast fast if he did a clean run through with one manufacturer yeah maybe things would be different for Michael maybe he'd be even more of a force in superbike world championship Um and it is desperately unlucky for him. I do feel for the Dutch fans. We touched on it earlier about how committed they are and how happy they are to see somebody of the quality of Michael. But they did have a little bit of uh, a wee bit of ray of sunshine in uh, Van Stralen getting a podium in the Supersport class. So Glenn Van Stralen was, by his standards, very smiley when he got that. Um, he didn't have as much luck in the second race, but he, he, he really did deserve a, a good result at home. And that at least made the fans happy. Um, the amazing thing about Michael, I'll say this to his great credit, 
he's got obviously a big injury. They've put him on the stretcher. They're taking him away. And as they're putting him in the stretcher, he's waving at the TV cameras and the fans with a broken leg. If I had broken my femur, I can't imagine being in, in, in that kind of, you know, mindset that you, you're aware of the people who have come to support you and to show people that you're fundamentally okay. Okay, you've had a big bad break. That that's um, I think that shows you more than anything else what motorbike racers are like. And Mikey's a good example of that. Fair dues to the big guy. Yeah, and uh, hopefully it's not too long until he's back. Obviously, Catalonia next weekend, and then it's three weeks to Mizano. So you're looking at uh, probably Donington at the start of July to get him back out there on the bike. It's going to be interesting to see who BMW opt to put onto the bike then as well, Gordon, yeah. because Leon Haslam, a lot of experience from Haslam, and uh, he's racing the BMW in the British Championship. I have to say, one of the more the more interesting options, and it's not going to happen I, from everything I've been told, Cameron Bobier won the opening race of the Motor America Championship on a BMW. And, you know, he knows the next couple of circuits coming up, Catalonia and Mizano from the Grand Prix paddock. It'd be really interesting to throw him onto the bike because it'd be something new. We we know what Leon can do. We've been able to see it over the, well, the last uh, number of years whenever he's been able to come back to World Supers. And uh, he'll probably get the shout. But I'd be very interested to see what Cameron Bobier could do. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a certain aspect of rider contracts. Um, just because you're riding for one manufacturer doesn't mean you're an automatic shoe in to, to get uh, any World Superbike rider or whatever it's going. Um, it would be really interesting. It would be a great PR thing. I don't know what the clashes are. I haven't actually looked um, if there's any clashes with any of these classes. Um, the other name I heard was... Mc- no clashes with any BSB. clashes for endurance? Because I heard McAlchick. Was the name that would be preferred, and that's what that's what happened last year, at the beginning of the year when he did it. No clashes for endurance either. Their next round is in the middle Kalchik of June. is a safe pair of hands. Bobier would be a great PR opportunity, and and who knows what he might do? Why why not? He's he's been in the MotoGP for a while. Why not? What do you make of BMW's performances over the Aston weekend as well? We saw Scott Redding qualify well in the second row of the grid. He's had five top ten finishes in a row now. No, not not bad, not great. Yeah, they've always got some bad luck they're fighting against and, and people injured and obviously Loris Baz was able to come back um, not 100%. Yeah, BMW, it's a kind of... Yeah, it's difficult to say because by now you would expect there would be better results, for, especially for somebody like Reading and on a more consistent basis. Obviously, Michael's van der Mark's been injured, so it's, it's not quite the same. Um Baz is a podium guy. Came back from a Moto America and went on two podiums, three podiums at the end of the season, two years ago. I mean, you know, the, the, there's no reason why the the, the rider. Okay, Gerloff's still learning the BMW, but they were up and down. They're up and down, and and by now that the, if they're going to be up and down, then the up and down should be operating at a higher level of consistent performance across the board. And I don't know if we're seeing that. I mean, I haven't done any kind of points analysis, but. It doesn't seem to be improving relative to the rest. They are improving. Everybody's lap times are faster. Everybody's going faster. But they need to make more of a jump. And they've got four good riders to do it with. What's what's interesting for me, Gordo, was it looked before Mikey's crash that he was pretty much odds on to sign a new contract. So we'll see if BMW do opt to keep him for next year. But one of the big rumours around the paddock was they were opening the checkbook and going after a top rider and obviously enough everyone wants to have top rack on their bike 
Keenan's named his price to all the other manufacturers what uh, Toprak wants, which is over a million a year, which is massive money in World Superbikes now as a base salary. But are you going to be able to get too many bonuses if you're on the BMW? I think that's what's going to be interesting to see what they can do. We know Jonathan Ray came close to moving to BMW a few years ago. So there's there's definitely there's definitely potential for a surprise decision for what happens with BMW down the line. Yeah, absolutely. And again, um, that's looking at this paddock. You know, there's also another paddock or two to choose from. <coughs> this, when you've got three top riders and they are actually split across three manufacturers, by definition, everybody else you can sign is less. So they're not going to, you know, Batista isn't going to go. So, yeah, get the checkbook out, sure. But you still have to be able to buy the the absolutely right person um, and give them what they need. BMW have got a, a very uh, top-down management structure. They always have had, from the first years they came to Superbike to now. They have a plan, they have a, a, a an idea, and they stick with it. And it's difficult to get anybody underneath that to change their mind, even the riders. There's been loads of people over the years that have said that. And it was interesting that some of BMW's better results happened when it was the gold bet team. They were running it not really... The factory team, but not, you know, different mentality, different people, different culture. And they had a quite a fair bit of success then. So, yeah, they maybe just have to look at the whole setup to, to see what they're going to do. Rider? Yeah. Sure. They need they, they, Maybe they need a, a mega star rider, but to me, Scott Redding and Michael Vandermark and Loris Baz and Garrett Gerloff is is an incredible lineup. One four factory bikes. Um, to me, they need to get those four operating at their full potential before they can drag somebody else over saying, oh yeah, that BMW is a viable option now. What about with Honda as well then, Gordo? Because again, at the weekend, we saw just what we've seen from Honda really over the last few years. Iker Lacuona is going to be on the MotoGP bike this weekend. He's been able to make himself a bit of a favourite son at HRC after winning the Suzuka eight hours last year. He was the rider that had the first podium for Honda in their current guise um, with their, their young rider lineup. And then Javi Vieira, we saw have a podium in Indonesia and then both of them were just sort of floating around in Aston in the, on the, the bottom end of the top 10. Yeah, so I'd, I don't know why the Honda thing's again not becoming more consistently, uh, consistently more competitive. Consistency and competitiveness don't seem to be matching up. And they got so many changes. They got changes to their bike last year, tail end of last year and for this year, that no other team in the history of World Superbike has had. The ability to soften parts of the chassis as opposed to adding parts of the chassis, moving things around in a really quite significant way for the the, the head pipe and the, and the rear suspension unit. Um, and still here we are. They're not taking a massive jump forward. It's one, we can see more potential and then occasionally more actual. Um, but Lacona going to GP, obviously, why, you know, if why not take him? Why not take him? He's not Titan challenging for the title in Superbike World Championship, so he might as well go to MotoGP. Um, and it would be real. I think the litmus test for that is how is he going to do relative to what Jonathan Ray did all those years ago when I think it was Casey Stoner was injured. Was it Stoner that was injured? And and Jonathan took his ride for a couple of rounds because you know I thought he did particularly well. 
considering he would obviously been told, look, don't do the mad son, don't try and be a hero. He did really well, and then it was like nothing, you know. Um, so we'll see what the corner does. If he can do something special, great. Um, but it's good, it's interesting, and it's the way it should be. The way it should be, there should be a channel from the best guys in Superbike to be able to go to MotoGP. Somehow, it seems to have been slightly cut off, even for somebody as good as Top Rack. So, hopefully this might change a couple of minds. Who knows? What's interesting with that owner's ride this weekend is I remember chatting to a few MotoGP crew chiefs about how they assess when a super superbike rider comes over and the job that, that they're doing. Obviously, for Iker, he has a lot of MotoGP experience from a couple of years on the KTM, but it's still valid to, to know how riders are assessed. And what all of those crew chiefs said to me was, it's easy to get within yeah. a second. So obviously you're not going to compare him to Peko's time. We'll compare him to whoever is the lead Honda this weekend, whether that's Rins, Mir, Nakagami, whatever it is. But if he's within a second of them, he's done a good job. If he's within a half a second, then that's actually worth taking notice of. If in the races he's able to finish within 15 or 20 seconds of the lead Honda, he's done a good job in the race. If he stacks the bike in FP2, the only useful session for the weekend, that's a big black mark against his name. And then you wait and see what's happened. We're obviously recording this Gordon Friday morning. MotoGP is just out on track now at the moment. So we're uh, we're going to leave it up to, to see how Iker gets on. Obviously, for all the Superbike paddock, you always want to see our riders go over and do a good job when they get the GP chance. It's a good opportunity for him to be on the Honda. So we'll see how that goes. And then he goes from there, Gordo, to the Catalan round the World SBK. He had a pole position there last year. And uh, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting round because Bautista from the recent test just looks like he's got this one won already. So we'll see what happens with that. Obviously, conditions can change and we, we could easily have something a little bit different. But Catalonia is a track that's very much tailor made for him and that Ducati. So then it's up to see if anyone's able to bring the fight to him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Catalonia, he just owned it last year. Um, it's a very particular racetrack. It's a great racetrack. And it's actually a classic now. It's been there that long. You think it's? I still think of Catalonia as a new racetrack. <laughs> it's not new. It's been there decades. So, do you know what's actually quite interesting about it, Gordo? I was watching uh, a Formula One documentary, and they went there in nineteen ninety one. I think was the first Formula One Grand Prix at uh, Catalonia. And when you look at all the tracks that F one was racing on at that time, they were all really narrow. Looked just gnarly and then they arrive into Catalonia and it looks so wide and modern and fantastic and then we just take it for granted that's what all world class circuits should be it was one of the first ones that really drove that to get us yeah, to that point no, it was a landmark place in a, in a, a country which is mad for two wheel motorsports and obviously over the last few decades has become much more involved in, in four wheel as well Um I love going to Catalonia because it's the centre of Spanish motorcycle and all those old names from the past um, were more or less all of them were based there. Um, so many riders uh, are Catalan riders. Uh, you know, successful uh, Spanish riders are actually Catalan. Um, and they they had an ambition to do it. It was all ta- you know tied in. The, they had the Olympics and so on. It was like a, you know, a rebirth of that area of Spain. Um, and we're seeing the benefit of that. Uh, part of me always thought we were never going to go, Superbike will never go to Catalonia because that's the, the Grand Prix place. 
and Spain's attitude to Superbike has always been a certain way. There's one of the things that's happened since Donna came on board is that we can now feasibly go. You know, they might have had to twist a few arms and so on. It might have been a result of the, the pandemic. Um, but they here we are at, at, at a proper Grand Prix racetrack, which has had a few bits done as well. It's now been modernised. There's obviously the things I've done to, to bring it back into the modern age and maybe more they'll have to do. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just pleased we got there because it, it shows that um, World Superbike has, has got a certain level now. It's got enough of a cachet for tracks like that to run us, even if they maybe need to be persuaded to do it in the first place. I think that's what's going to be fun, Gordo, because we've got Catalonia and then Mizano, two full Grand Prix style tracks. And then you're looking at Donington, Imola, Most, Magni Core, all tracks that are much wilder and that you're not going to really see a MotoGP race going to anytime soon and then the season finishes off Portimao and, and Villacom in, in uh, Argentina so we're going to suddenly come to the, the superbike stage of the calendar Ooh. for want of a better word you've got your full Grand Prix tracks then you've got the then you've got the down yeah. and dirty barroom brawl superbike tracks I'm, I, I am really excited for the summer actually July is going to be great yeah I, I think it's uh I think we've got a fantastic spread of tracks in Superbike. Um, there are, it would be great to modernise some of the old tracks to be exactly the same level of primary safety as other places. And that should be an ongoing requirement. Every year they have to do something major to, to keep their licence to, to allow you to run the races, whatever. Rider safety is still the most important thing in a dangerous sport like ours. Um, but it's great that we do go to these places. Um and as you say, there are brand new modern tracks which are designed that like a MotoGP bike will always be able to go to. There's even modern racetracks now that MotoGP are talking about we can't go there anymore because they need to make safety work because they're going so fast. Well, the lap time between Superbike and MotoGP is it's so different now. It's different enough. But we don't go quite the same pace as they do with all the wings and all that stuff. So it's going to take longer for us to burn through racetracks, you know, in terms of they're just not safe enough anymore. Yeah, I like the narrowness of Superbike. The whole point is, you, you said bar brawl there, bar fight there. Yeah, that's, that's, that. there should always be an element of that in Superbike. We're the outsiders. We're the, we're the guys that have souped up the bikes from the street and gone to a racetrack in the middle of the night when the cops aren't there. You know, I mean, that's still the mentality that should be pervading in Superbike. It's very easy to try and follow the kind of polished MotoGP thing, but Look at David Emmett when he wrote that. I just read his column yesterday about going to Assen as a fan, if he'd a fan with a media pass. So he did his work, but he was then able to walk around and speak to people and just see things and absorb it. And he, he seldom goes to a superbike race and he spent two full days there, two and a half. And he loved it. He thought it was great. As a fan experience, he said it's, it's just much better than MotoGP. And MotoGP is the big thing. We keep saying it and we all understand that in superbike. But it's very interesting to see that what what Superbike is, is much more human contact, much more closer to the motorcyclist who turns up on his motorbike or her motorbike and has a great time communing with her people. It's like the TT. The first time I went to the TT, I couldn't believe it because the whole place was just only about motorbikes. I didn't think things like that existed. And you can completely absorb yourself inside the world, the World Superbike, a, a World Superbike race. You cannot. You are excluded from doing that at MotoGP. Okay, for lots of good reasons. The fact that there would be far too many people on the paddock to, to you know to, for it to function. It's like Mizano MotoGP. It's just insane. 
you can't walk 10 yards, you're fighting your way through people. So there's difference between it and there should be. And the same goes for racetracks. We should go to gnarly places, not unsafe places, but I don't mind going to gnarly places. I think it, it adds to the flavour of our championship. I think it's definitely one of those ones that there's been talk in the paddock about adding new cal- new circuits to the calendar going forward. There's been talk about going to a few places. I found it really interesting that Spa did all their upgrade works and they've got world endurance there. Like that's somewhere where MotoGP, it's still too too dangerous for MotoGP. But if it's good enough for world endurance superbikes, hopefully that means down the line it'll be good enough for us. And you know, the Japanese manufacturers have said time and again they'd like to be back in Japan. MotoGP can't go back to Suzuka because of what was con- what was decided after Daijiro Kato's death, whereas Superbikes could. So these are the kind of things that could open doors for us and it's it, it could be a very exciting calendar going forward and certainly it's going to be one of those things that we'll be keeping our ear to the ground on all the way through the season, see if there's any more news on that. Gordo, obviously... We're pretty much straight back to work this weekend in uh, Catalonia. So are you looking forward to the round? Yes, it's another one of those. It's just a, it's a cool place to be. It's modern enough to function well. It's old enough to, to have a bit of character and a lot of history about it already. And it's in the epicentre of, of Spanish uh, motorcycling history. There's a lot of things to like about Catalonia. And this season's been good. I mean, yeah... I think everybody would like to see more competition. Doesn't matter if, if Alvaro wins three races again to me, as long as Johnny and Toprak and maybe two or three other people are right on his tail at the end, you know, as long as we've got a race long fights, that that's fine if he's still going to be the guy that wins. I don't want to see three runaways, but I don't want to see three runaways in any any year at any championship at any time. Um but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's one of, it's a modern classic, it's only been on the calendar a few years. It's already one of those ones that if it lit, if it went off a calendar, you'd miss it straight away. You know, like Assen. If we imagine not going to Assen, other than the pandemic, you know, you'd be like, "Wow, we're not going to Assen." You just think, "What happened?" Catalonia is not quite that level, but it's close. You know, it's very close for the riders, especially when you talk to them. There's no one that's ever ridden around Catalonia yeah. that doesn't love it. And particularly whenever you've got those fast right-handers at the end of the lap leading onto the backs, onto the start-finish straight, it's just a great layout. And it does generally give us good racing, so it should be good across the board. Obviously, Supersport, Supersport 300 there as well. So uh, we'll see how, how they play out. Obviously, in Supersport Gordo, it's been a bit of a Ducati dominance of late, but it was interesting to see... Again, we had three different manufacturers on the podium in race one. We had Marcel Schroeder coming through very strong, adapting to the Moto two, from a Moto two bike to a Super Sport bike. Super Sport's a class worth keeping an eye yeah, on this absolutely. year. Um, it's still uh, the we're still balancing rules in that class, and we'll see what happens longer term. But the good thing is that they have already said we'll do what it takes to get the thing balanced. That, that kind of this is you for the season idea seems to be gone now thank goodness you know um, we, we need to keep all the bikes the same especially when you're introducing a 955 engine to a 600 engine you have to get the balance of those right so far not bad um, ultimately I think it's a fascinating class because look at uh, Batin Sofoglu he was right up there until he had a crash it's not often those races are a, a, a mirror image of each other there's too many wild guys and wild cards and too many different bikes that work. And if one guy does a, does his homework in race one, he can have a good race too. 
it's partly the new class syndrome, you know. The 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 Yamaha's are fairly sorted, but everybody else is still learning about the bikes, and that's what makes it interesting because one weekend they're great, one weekend they're not. Three hundreds made their comeback as well at Assen Gordo, and they'll be in action in Catalonia. And uh, that's a class where you can never predict anything other than it's going to be a big pack at the front. Catalonia especially is going to be like that. But it was good to see the 300s back in action last weekend. And uh, Gordo will obviously be back in action on the podcast after Catalonia before the next round of the championship after that at Mazano. So we've got a little bit of a gap between Catalonia and Mazano, but uh, no doubt you'll still be kept very busy all the way through. So uh, thanks for joining us as usual on the podcast, hey, absolute Gordo. Absolute pleasure, mate. Absolute pleasure. And a big thank you to Renthal Street for supporting the podcast. Be sure to check out patreon.com forward slash paddock pass podcast as well for getting as up to date as possible on all the news from the MotoGP paddock. David, Adam and Neil are out at Hareth as we speak. So uh, they'll be giving everyone the paddock note show all the way through the weekend and then also with the Hareth test on Monday. So it's going to be busy for those guys. And uh, Gordon will just sit back enjoy watching the race and it's uh, it's not too bad really whenever whenever we're able to have a weekend yes, like this no, it's good to just kick back um, I love travelling I love doing my races but you know I appreciate being home as well sometimes you know I, I like it where I live and it's great to come back to so uh, excitement craziness I get that elsewhere I come home to chill out and just do my work that's what I enjoy as long as Claire could hear you saying that, Gordo, that's all okay. As it is, we'll uh, we'll see you again after the Catalan round. 